disciple. Well, we are always straying away, straying away, and then now people are going to say, oh, man, Major's a hypocrite. Why do you, you don't want to talk to him? He, he, and what hypocrisy does, it kills our witness. Because now when you try to go and talk to someone, you don't have the credibility that you should have. You know, and, and, and a lot of times it's that credibility that hinders the kingdom from growing. You know, when we like the street cred to get out there and, and, and say, hey, this is what I'm, I'm trying to live this thing right. You know, I may make a mistake here and there, but I'm not out there doing something willingly doing things against God's will. And then now I'm going to try to come and tell you how good Jesus is, you know. And so we saw uh, a couple weeks ago when we got to Matthew chapter 23, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 4 because I read those before. I'm going to just read them real quick. We were saying Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of that day along with uh, his disciples. So it was a crowd of people there. And, and, and one of the things that I want to make clear is that all of the Pharisees were not all bad. But the majority of them were. You know, they weren't all bad. And everything that they said to do was not always bad. It's just that they just went too far. They went to an extreme. And those things that they was writing and putting in places became more important than the word of God, than the things that God was requiring them to do. And what happened was when they started making those things so important, those things almost took the place of God itself. And then they started doing things not for the glorifying of God, but to glorify themselves. You know, and that's where Jesus had that severe problem with them, is how they got their focus off of God and all their attention came back to them. So with verse 1, he says, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. They sit in that particular seat. And he said, Because they sit in that seat where they interpret the law and they teach the law and they reveal to you what God had revealed to Moses through, through and the prophets, he says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. In other words, I tell you this all the time, even a bad preacher, normally if he opened up the Bible, can preach you a good message. I mean, if he opened up the Bible and just read to you and close the Bible and sit down, you can get a good message out of that. So he was saying that, but when they finish speaking, don't watch their behavior, don't watch their conduct, Take heed to what they're saying. Don't just turn them off. And that's hard because now most people can't separate the man from his hypocrisy. And Jesus said here, you're going to have to be able to do that because there are some guys out there who ain't living number, they got a powerful word. And if that's somebody you listen to and they're teaching something that's true, get the truth out of it. Pick the truth out of all the other stuff and don't just discard it. You know, and, and so... I tell you this way, you, you know, you can listen to whoever you want. I mean, most of you may have people that you listen to all the time, but you ought to be able to listen to them and learn based upon the truth that they're presenting and teaching you, okay? And, and, and therefore, a couple years ago, that was a big issue when all the preachers started, you know, dressing down and wearing these $3,000 shoes and trying to dress like the young recording artists. Some people had a problem with that. I mean, they got it like that. No problem. But when you're in a congregation with some of your people on welfare and you don't have a plan to help them and you walk around with $5,000 tennis shoes on, to me, the optics ain't that. Now, if everybody in your church was CEOs and they had it going on like that, yeah, okay, yeah, live up to, the, to, the, you know, to your followers. But man, when you got people that can't get by 
and, and they are funding you and you walking around in $5,000 tennis shoes, $3,000 tennis shoes, and some just, now I ain't saying a preacher got to be poor. I mean, because, you know, the, the messages, you know, have been taught, you know, I'm not preaching poverty. I, we didn't take a vow of poverty. But at the same time, there got to be a line somewhere where you can say, hey, man, I done crossed, I done went too far into trying to identify with something else. I want that status just like the world. Used to be a time, you know, preacher was lucky if he got a Cadillac. But now, that's way beyond that. And ain't nothing wrong with that. If you got 10,000 members and they paying you a good salary, you're riding what you want to ride in. But at least present yourself after you come off the platform the same way that you present yourself on the platform. Be that same person. That's all I'm saying. Try with all your might to be that same person because Jesus said, hey, you can watch them but don't follow what they do because they will tell you what's right but they won't necessarily do what's right themselves. And so that's why when you go to church and I don't care where you go to church, at some point in time, the pastor, the preacher got to open the Bible and read something from the Bible. It just can't be all making you feel good and then you, there ain't no scripture to support that because you are fed and nurtured by the word of God. Our strength and our power and everything that we have come from this word. So if we're going somewhere and not getting any of the word in us, then you can get the rest of that from infomercial. I mean, you don't need to go to church do that. You can just stay up late at night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, all kinds of stuff come on that can motivate you. I'm serious. I mean, just, just, just scroll through the TV about 2 o'clock in the morning. You'll find out they, man, they got all kinds of stuff out there that can get you motivated, ready to do. You can tear down a wall after you hear some of that stuff that they can tell you. But you come to church to get the word of God. And so he was saying, hey, look, they're going to tell you what's right, but they don't practice what they now look at this verse 4. He said, they crush people with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burden. In other words, the law was grievous enough, but they say even in spite of the law, they added things to the law. And they put all these demands on the people, but then the very demands they were putting on the people, they weren't adhering to them themselves. It's one thing for you to put a demand on a person to do something, and it's another thing for us to put a demand, that same demand on ourselves, you know, because we can't weigh people down, and we have done that, and all churches have done it. We've done it with our traditions and the things that we do that is just based on tradition and culture. There's a lot of things that we do in the church is based on tradition and culture, and sometimes those tradition and culture can, cultures can become law in our mind, and therefore, when it's time to look at changing some of those traditions and cultures, then people rebel against that, as if we're rebelling against the word of God. But we're not rebelling against the word of God. We're just saying, hey, someone got to ask the question, why have you done that that way all the time? Is it based on the scripture, or is it just based on your upbringing, the culture that you were raised up in, or whatever? Because you have to separate those things from the word of God. And now, every culture worships in their own way. That's just the way it is. And, and, and that's why music is different from one church to the next. You would think all churches would get them an organ, a hammer, and one of those big organs and play pipe organ, but all churches don't roll like that because music is very culturally driven. And so, therefore, when we understand those things, then we can understand how to separate what we have brought in because of culture, because of tradition, 
because of the way we like doing things from what God's word say about it. If God's word has nothing to say about it, then it's just a tradition. Just our culture. And tradition can change. Yes. So, so Pastor, uh, just so we can make it real. So, even in striving, we certain positions are leadership positions, and if we're going to lead by example, then we—I mean, we have to—we have to practice what we preach. There's, I mean, I know the Bible says don't watch them, but if you have—if you say, okay, Brother Willie's a leader, Herb's a leader, so now. Instantly, people will watch them. And more times than not, people will watch what they do before they believe what they say. That's true. And, and that's a very good assessment uh, 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 based on, 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 you know, how people are. And, and, and a lot of times what, what we don't realize is that when people see us out of character, some people don't know how to let that go. And so therefore, we can, and I'm pretty sure I've offended some people in this church, and there's some people that when I probably get up to preach, they probably just turn their mind off. You know, they'll come, but you know, they, they, ain't, they ain't picking me now. And I heard that people say that about other preachers. I, they, I saw them do this, and I ain't. I, so, so I, but I said, you got to outgrow that. Get beyond the person. That's no different than, you know, pastor up here with a polka dot tie on and, and this attire, and someone just look at the tie the whole time and miss what we're trying to teach. That's a distraction. And, and, and our lives can be that same type of distraction for some people when we don't, when we don't live out what the Word of God but, has. But, Pastor, okay, so, but for young Christians, for people that we're trying to lead to Christ, they, they're not going to overlook that because they're gonna, they don't know enough about the Bible to say, okay, that's true, that's true, that's true. So what they're going to do is, if you're saying it, they're also going to watch exactly what you do. They're young Christians. And if we're leading them to Christ, then we, we, we can't afford, we can't even make the mistake of one time, you know, letting, letting loose. We can't say, we can't do something and then try to witness the, that same young Christian that we're trying to draw to Christ. It, it doesn't work. I, I think we have to. Because God used imperfect people all throughout the Bible. I mean, if that argument held up, then Paul should have never been an apostle. Because he had to go witness to some of the same folks he was trying to kill. But, but also, we only have one shot at it, though. You're talking about Paul's life over, over a period of time that he built relationships. Well, with us, though, we might run into that one person one time. We might say, hey, you know, let me tell you about this. And then the next time they see you, they might see you at the club drinking or doing whatever, doing, doing whatever. We've lost a chance because they're not going to see our life evolve. We might make, that might be one mistake that I made, but that's what that young Christian is going to remember. That, I, that's exactly what they're going to remember. Man, Major trying to lead me to Christ. <laughs> and he was drinking more crown than everybody else was. And, and I think, Major, that's where we're going to have to know the individuals that we are talking to and dealing with and find out where their maturity level because some people may see that, and we've had this discussion before, and say, for a major lad, he's committing a, a, a sin that is unto death, you know. But if major ain't drunk, I really don't have a leg to stand on. It just, it's just a matter of the appearance. And I can follow on that scripture and say that, 
but imagine they don't get a personal conviction by the Holy Spirit. You know, there are churches that for their anniversary have alcohol served. I mean, alcohol at their anniversary. That don't make them right or wrong, but that don't give me the right to go and, you know, criticize them for that. If I can't find that any of them got drunk and all that, they're just having a social drink. I mean, you know, people at ceremonies, the Jews celebrated ceremonies, weddings and feasts. I mean, they laid it out there. Now, that don't make it right or wrong, but what we got to do is make sure that we don't label everything as a sinful act until we can clearly define it as sin. But you're right, people that don't know that, that's why I would say it would be time to educate that person. Say, hey, look, here's what Christianity is about. It's not, you know, you can't say that all Christians are cop, uh, you know, cut out of the same piece of cloth, that they're going to be carbon copies all the way down the line. There are going to be some Christians that I don't curse, but there's some Christians that still curse. And they probably justified and say, you know, da-da-da. I know some preachers that curse. I don't, I don't do it. I don't think they should. But I don't think it's worth arguing with, you know, whether or not they're going to heaven or hell over that. But if it's a young person, I would try to tell that person, hey, look, don't be deceived. People who come to church <laughs> still folks. And, and, and they going to act like folks sometimes if they don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead them every step of the way. That's why Paul had to write so much about how they should conduct themselves being led by the Spirit instead of being led by the flesh. Brother Herb, I saw you. I think I saw your hand. Yeah. Uh, as for this example that you're showing, especially for the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, once again, they was already on the scene before Jesus came. I mean, this is this is almost before Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And so when he came to scene, they already rejected who he was in a sense of how to uh, conduct themselves as children of God. So he had to break the barrier. And, and he's teaching them and showing them, telling them where they at. You know, once again, they came from Moses, and they live on that tradition, and he have to break that mold when Jesus comes to sing. But my question now is, we, we see others, you're giving us example for others, churches that has tradition and what they follow. My, my question is, as his point, what do we look like at, at striving for perfection in the sense of what we or try to establish ourselves to be able to not to be what you, what what we studying right now. Are we like this, or are we different? Or are we going to teach that you know? For once, if you are a leader, or you are for Christ, then we should walk in a way at striving for perfection, in a way that won't cause issues for someone to say, don't look at me. I want to be able to be here in a sense as a leader to say, hey, I'm going to be like Paul. Paul said, Timothy, you learn from me mm -hmm. and you can follow me the way I walk. And I mean, as for, for striving for perfection, is that what we are teaching or walking in a way in a sense and not what we identifying out in the world 
uh, other churches of tradition and everything. That's why I'm well, well, brother Herb, you know, I think we walking. I, yeah, I think you've been here striving long enough to know what we teach and, and, and how we in, what we reinforce, the things we taught, the rules we done played under and by here striving. I mean, most of y'all that know me know what we done taught. But just because you teach a rule don't necessarily mean everybody going to follow the rule. And so it, but, 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 but it, it, when it comes to whether or not people in leadership, there are consequences that, you know, and I don't need to go into that. You know, we expect our leaders to live in a certain way. I don't expect any of our leaders to go out and get drunk. You know, but I don't wake up every morning trying to figure out who's getting drunk. But if it hit my desk, I got to deal with it. So I don't wake up every day trying to figure out who can I catch getting drunk or who can I catch, you know, doing this craziness. But if it hit my desk, that's a different matter. And so, you know, but again, I don't wake up looking for it to hit my desk. I'm hoping that people like you say, if they're going to operate in integrity and they know that they've done something that's violatable and they, they know that they shouldn't be doing something, then I believe that some people will set themselves down for a season and say, hey, look, right now I got some things going on. I need to take a break. And we've had some ministers to do that, some people leaders to do that for various reasons. They don't have to come to me and, and give me no, you know, 10 reasons why. Once they tell me that, I just honor that. But at the same time, I agree with what you're saying. I think any church, not just thriving, we all should be trying to grow up to the fullness and the, and the stature of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the pattern. He's the example that we shoot for, you know. And, 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 but how we get there and the rate that we get there and the method that we use to get there may vary from church to church. But the end game should be get to the point where we're looking more and more like Christ as we, as we mature and as we study this word and as we try to live the things of God. Brother Willie? You know, I, I, I understand and agree with what, what we're saying here, but, you know, we, we, we must look at ourselves sometimes and see where we come from. See, see, I was in the club, but I'm not in the club now. If, if Major is in the club, I'm going to try to bring him out of there, but I can't judge Major because he's in the club. He still may have Christ within his heart, but he's trying to hang with the boys. So so, so it's just like when I'm trying to teach Brandon, uh, he said, Daddy, you used to do that. And, and, I, and, I, and I used this on him. I said, yes, I used to do that. But these are the things that I'm trying to keep you from doing. I don't want you to do everything that I did but I know that you're going to do some of the things. So am I going to judge him because of what he's doing? Or I'm going to judge that person, even in the bowling alley. I, I, I might do some things. I might offer you a beer. That don't say Willie got to have a beer. But I know you drink a beer. I'll pay for your beer. Is that wrong? Because I'm buying you a beer? Now, if I sit here and make you drunk, then I just committed a sin just like you committed a sin for getting drunk. I feel that way now. I might be wrong, Pastor. Well, I mean, I mean, the example you just gave is one of those things that it comes back to me, the personal conviction. You know, that's, again, we can, we, we can get into a beer and all that. Right. All you got to do, I go on my personal conviction. I don't drink alcohol, so that, for me, I wouldn't offer it to him. Okay? But if, 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 if I'm celebrating as a Christian when I made senior master sergeant, 
we went to the tacking on, and I put my share of the money into the tacking on so everybody could have a good time. Probably somebody can look at that and say, I, I, will, I did it, but I didn't drink anything. But I didn't go and monitor who all drank and how much they drank. But I could probably feel guilty later and say, man, did I contribute to somebody else's downfall by doing that? I think that comes back to a matter of personal conviction. You know? And so sometimes what we have to do is, is weigh those against God's word. And then if the spirit, like Paul told, you know, some of y'all want to eat vegetables, some of y'all want to eat meat. Man, you know, whichever one you want to eat, don't fight about it, just eat it. Bless it and eat it. But we're going to, that's what they got. We, we spend too much time arguing. <laughs> Let me read on. Y'all gonna, it's going to come clear. Look at this. He said, now look, when he started talking about the Pharisees, verse 5, this is new now. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scriptures, verses inside. And they wear rolls with extra taff, long tassels. In other words, this is part of religious garb. And back in the Old Testament, back in uh, Deuteronomy and some of the, 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 the books of the law, uh, they used to put scriptures around, they had a band that they wear around their wrist, and then they had a one that go over their finger, kind of like you say, you know, people say, tie a string around your finger. Normally when you tie a string around your finger, it's to cause you to remember something. You know, you don't, you don't want to forget it, so you tie a string around your finger, and, and now you look at that and say, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, they did that with scripture. They would put them around their hand. They had them around their forehead. And all that was designed to say, man, before I do this, I'm going to look at my hand and say, ooh, I can't do this. Before I do that, I'm going to look at this scripture going to be dangling in front of my head and, and keep me from doing that. And that's okay if that'll work for you, but that will look kind of crazy walking around like that today, but some of us probably need that, you know, because Jesus said we're supposed to have it in our heart. The word of God is supposed to be in our heart, but see, they didn't get it in their heart. Their heart was still messed up, but the outer man looked good. They had on the right robe, they had all the religious stuff on, and you would think that, man, these guys are really living them, like you say, Major, but Jesus said, hey, the reason they do it, do it is for show. They want everybody to think they are holy and righteous, but in their heart, they're far from it. And so he's saying now, so they put on all these extra things to be seen because they had this false concept of what, you know, uh, uh, of true spirituality and religion really looked like. And so therefore, sometime now, you know, there are, you know, religious garb that we can wear. Some churches wear a lot more religious garb than others. And sometimes when people see you in that religious garb, they think that, wow, you know, you really look like something because you got the robe and you got the bars on, you got all the symbols and all that. And he says, man, they look the part. And Jesus said, hey, they can look the part, but, you know, putting the scripture in front of their forehead, they were still corrupt on the, in their heart. And they did that so that when they go down to the marketplace and hang with the people, because religious leaders in this day was held in high esteem. I mean, they was well-respected because most of them had possessions. And, you know, they were looked upon because of their authority, their position, and what they could do. And the church had a lot of authority. The Romans during this time gave them a lot of authority. They could do certain things that the Roman government allowed them. So those religious leaders were powerful men and figures in the community. And so, therefore, when they went out, they wanted people to see them and respect them for their outer appearance and not look at their 
heart. And so Jesus said that they do all this stuff, they do it just for show, to be seen by men. He said, now look, they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogue, on the front row, best seat, at the banquet head table. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace to be called, to be called rabbi. Now, there's nothing wrong with respecting people's position, whatever, rank, authority, nothing wrong with that. Because that's okay. But man, to lose it because somebody don't call you by your title. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, to lose it because, you know, somebody just slipped and said Larry instead of Pastor Bolton, and all of a sudden I just come unglued. I dare you call me. Larry. Larry? You don't know me like that. It's Pastor Bolden to you. Now, there are some churches that don't play no title. They call everybody brother and sister. Brother Larry, Brother Major, Brother Herb, and they say, that's enough. And they take it from the scripture. So Jesus said, you know, you call it my brother and sister. But that's not wrong if some churches use the title elder, bishop, because you can find them in the other writings that Paul wrote and the letters that he wrote. So there are offices in the church. But when the office and the title mean more to you than what God says, that you're going to lose it because somebody didn't call you by a title or somebody sitting in your seat. You know, visitors come to church and you sit in the, this second seat all the time and they all of a sudden they beat your church today. And now all of a sudden you done lost your mind. No, you, you should have been on time. I mean, you should have been on time. You said what you want. And, the, and so he said that sometimes we can get caught up in those things and, and we want that reverence from men and then we don't want that same level of reverence from God. We don't want God to look at us like that. And we should be trying to please God more than to get the praise of men. You know, and, and so, so I, there's nothing wrong with respect for greetings. Then he tell them, and again, now keep this in the context that Jesus talking to his followers and, 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 and his disciples. He was telling them in, in a spiritual sense how they should address one another. Because one, and controversially here, when he says, call no man father. Now, some people have taken that all the way to the extreme, too. So look at this. He says, now look. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher. Because rabbi just means teacher. And he's saying, hey, right now on the scene, I'm your teacher. You are learning from me. You are my disciple. You are my follower. So I'm your teacher. He said, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. So some people take that and say, hey, we all equal in the church. Shouldn't be no reverend, shouldn't be no elder, shouldn't be no bishop, shouldn't be no priest, shouldn't be any of those titles. Everybody ought to be just called brother and sister. And if we wanted to change that here and strive and go by that, we could do that. We can do it. But I still got scripture in the Bible where the term pastor is used, where the term deacon is used, where the term, you know, elder is used. 
bishop is used. I, I, so I can find place in the Bible when we talk about the order in the church where those terms are used, but the term being used shouldn't mean that the person wear that title instead of not serve with that title. The title should make you in church, your service and your humility should make you. Because those things are intact. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be great, you got to first be humble. And then you got to serve your brothers and sisters. You got to serve. So, so Jesus' intent for greatness was not, you know, putting on a robe and putting some stuff in front of your head and walking around looking religious. His form for greatness was humility and service. You serve your way to greatness. These guys wanted to dress their way to greatness. And they wanted all the props that came along with that. And so Jesus said, hey, look, y'all ought to see yourself as equal in the church. Now, I'm not knocking churches that got hierarchy, because when I was in Church of God in Christ, we really believed in hierarchy. I mean, we really did believe how. I mean, they, they determined what colors you could wear. You know, if you weren't of this rank, you couldn't wear purple. Even though you wanted to buy your own purple robe or purple whatever, you couldn't put on purple. And I couldn't understand that. Why? Who said that? But that was, the, that was the way the game was played. And so because those are the rules in that church, I dare myself get up there if I wasn't a bishop or something, and here I am walking in there with a purple robe on. Man, they would have told me, no, doc, you can't wear that here. But if I know that's how the game is played, I wouldn't go in there and test the system like that. Not the public could do that. But as I look and read the Bible, I say, man, I think we was missing it when we were more concerned about colors of robe than we were about the heart of the person in the robe. And so it's easy to get caught up in those things. So Jesus said, brother and sister, he said, now, and don't address anyone on earth as father. For only God in heaven is your, in this text says, spiritual father. And some of you about just say father. And again, keeping this in the context. Because I know some of you probably call your dad father. Some of you, I never, that wasn't a term that we normally call my dad by father. You know, it was dad. Some people call it dad, pops, other names. That some people don't call it that father. But, and so because of this scripture, there are some churches that believe nobody should be called this. And so when you see people comment about this, they take shots at the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church called the priest father. And so the context here that Jesus was talking about said, look, when it comes to calling someone spiritual father, you know, but he, he wasn't talking about your earthly parents here. He was talking about in the sense of a spiritual father. Now, even later on, some people take what Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he says, my young son Timothy, and he called Titus and Timothy his son. And so people have taken that to mean, okay, it was okay for them to see them as a spiritual father. I've seen guys take that scripture and use that to justify that. So I won't argue with which way, what Jesus really meant, but in the context that he was using here, he was telling his disciples from a spiritual standpoint, while I am with you, you don't call no man on earth father in this country. So when you talk to the other rabbis and all that, you don't have to call them father. Again, like I say, some people have taken that scripture all the way to the other extreme and said we shouldn't call nobody father. And that, that just depends on 
or how people interpret or how broad they want to interpret that instead of kind of narrowing it down to what the conversation that Jesus was having with his followers at this time and primarily as he was addressing the religious leaders. He said, don't let anyone call you teacher. Well, you know, Paul told there ought to be teacher is office in the church, one to five-fold ministry. Teacher, but you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Again, talking to his followers, say, while I'm with you, I'm your chief teacher. I'm the one that's going to reveal to you the things that God wants you to know about his kingdom. And so, therefore, uh, when we look at this and we keep all this in the context, he says, then he goes on to say, the greatest among you must be a servant. So he was trying to bring them back down and say, hey, don't get caught up in what you see those other guys doing over there. You know, get the fanfare, try to find the best seat, try to dress the best, you know, look at that. Hey, you can get all that if you just serve. People respect you, they'll honor you, they'll do what they have to do if you just serve. If you want to be great, just serve. He says, must be a servant. So servanthood comes with the territory. We have to serve in the body of Christ. I mean, God called us all to serve in some capacity. Everybody's not called to be preachers or teachers and stuff, but everybody can serve. And so he's saying, hey, look, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we ought to be serving in some way, shape, fashion, or form. You know, especially if the Lord has blessed us to be able to. Now, sometimes, you know, you, you, when you get older, you can't do what you used to could do when you were younger. But still, if God placed it in your heart to serve, you can't go wrong with service and humility. Those are two things that, that God will honor. He'll exalt you, you know, the word of God says. If you humble yourself, he will exalt you. If you serve, he will allow you to arrive at greatness. He says, now look, but those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he goes into these, what we call, you know, some of your Bible used the woes when he really come at them hard, man, because he got about eight woes in here, and in the new living don't call them woes, they just talk about sorrow. He says, what sorrow await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Verse 13. He says, hypocrites. First time he called them, hypocrites. Hypocrites, you're actors. You're pretending to be something that you're not. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's face. You won't go in yourselves, and you won't let others enter either. In other words, he said, now look, you guys hold the key. Y'all had, the, y'all had God's word first. But now when it comes to what God wanted y'all to reveal about this, the coming Messiah, you didn't accept that. And so because you didn't accept it, you caused others not to accept it. So in essence, what you're doing is you're shutting the door to the kingdom. In other words, no different than somebody who don't want to go to church, but then don't want to see nobody else go. You know, some of y'all got friends like that. They don't want to go to church. Then all of a sudden, you try to get them to go to church. Uh, you crazy. Ain't no way I get up that early in the morning and go to no church. I'm like, well, they trying to keep you out of the kingdom. You got to fight through that. You know, and, and, and especially, you know, when you know the Lord is speaking your heart and you're trying to grow and you're trying to be what the Lord is calling you to be. Man, you can't let folks shut the door in your face. And that's what he's saying. These, but these were religious leaders shutting the door in the face of people because they didn't want the people to accept Jesus. 
They didn't want him. They didn't want nobody else to have it. And there's some people like that in the natural, man. If they can't have it, they don't want, want nobody else to have it. They'll just destroy the whole thing before they let somebody else get it they can't have. And that ain't the way God would have us to operate. He says, you know, because he told them, woe is you for doing these things. He says, now, if some of your Bibles don't have verse 14 in it uh, because some of the, 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 they say better translated Bibles don't have verse 14. But uh, the New King James have it. So what I did, I went back and got it because the New Living Translation don't have verse 14. It says, verse 14 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. In other words, saying, look, normally if a, these guys will go around a widow, somebody lost a husband and left for something, and they'll go there and make all these pretense like they were really scripturally, uh, you know, sound, trying to be there for them. But in all, all they wanted was their possession. They wanted their possession. So, 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 so they would go around and pray long prayers, and, and you know, we know you're missing Johnny, you know, da 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 da. But at the end of the day, I know Johnny left you something. So these guys were greedy. I mean, they were greedy. That's what you find out. They were greedy. And so that greed caused them to take advantage of widows while they was going through their periods of mourning. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? That's verse 15. Again, one of those woes that he's talking about. Then he called them hypocrites again. For you cross land and sea to make convert, make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. In other words, they love, when they talk about Jews making converts, talk about proselytizing, bringing other people into Judaism. And he said, you bring them into Judaism, you teach them all these laws, you tell them they got to get circumcised, they got to do this, you do this, and you'll travel all over the world to teach them that, but you won't teach them about the Messiah, you teach them the same foolishness that you're doing. And sooner or later, that's why it's so important for us to separate tradition from the word. And let people know, hey, this is just tradition here in Simon. Because if we teach that as the word, then they'll think that when they see something done a different way, that is wrong. When it may not have nothing to do with right or wrong as far as God is concerned, it's just the way we do things. And, and so what we got to do is that, hey, man, if we're going to go out of our way to bring somebody to the kingdom of God, to witness to someone, to, you know, spend that time with them. When we do that, man, we got to make sure we're trying to bring them up to be like Jesus. And like you said, Major, in order to do that, we're going to have to at least look a little like Jesus, sound like Jesus, know something that he taught, to stand on some of the things that he left for us. Because if not, then what we're going to do is we're just going to deceive them, they're going to come in and find out we just as worldly as they are. Man, I thought I was going into something different, but when I got here, they, they folks are just, they do things just like I do. So I'm not saying we got to be holier than thou, but I do think that the world ought to see something different about us. Now, what that different is, like Brother Herb said, I don't know how to pinpoint and say what it all would be, but it ought to be something distinctively different by the way we carry ourselves, by the way we do certain things, that will say, hey, 
this don't look like someone that is still living in the world and being governed by the world system and doing things. And that's a growing process. I mean, you know, I think one of the things Major you said and Herb said one thing, we have to be honest with people. I keep telling y'all this. We can't start where we are now and start preaching to young folk, man. They don't want to hear that. They're going to do just like your son. Well, look at my grandson do the same way. How are you going to try to correct me now? In, in, in the fun of my life, you know, you don't have, have to correct me. But, but, but when you were there, you didn't want to hear that. Then now you're going to get mad because I don't want to hear it. So, so what I have to do is like I, we share, you know, it's a, hey, I got to let him know that, hey, man, granddad was kind of crazy. He did some crazy things. And it wasn't until he got about 28 when he really saw the light. Up until that time, he was just playing church. I was going to church, but I was just playing church. I was just going to be gone. But something happened when I got 28 years old, you know, and I don't share my testimony. But, but something happened at that time. At 28, I decided, okay, I'm through playing. I'm going to be all in for the Lord. I'm going to give up some of this craziness I'm doing, and I'm going to change my life. But all the, up until that time from 28 till 28, I was going to church every Sunday. Buying turkey for the church for Christmas, you know, to give to the poor. I mean, donating, I mean, just doing a lot of nice churchy things and gambling still after I leave church and sometimes doing church. I mean, I'm just telling you, I mean, and so that look, I look back at that and say, man, I go to church in between the time in the Baptist church, you have a little break before the preacher come up and the deacons doing their morning line in the hymn and stuff. I ain't, I ain't want to hear that. I ain't, I ain't need to sit there and listen to nothing I couldn't understand. And so since I couldn't understand it, I went to the gambling parlor, made me a bet, and came on back when the preacher got up and the choir got up. Now, again, I was growing. I went where I am now. I, would, I mean, I would, the Holy Spirit would probably shoot me down if I did something like that now. But back then, I didn't see nothing wrong with it. Because I got, I got back in time for the word, and I heard the word, I'm okay. I didn't get no convicted, wasn't no convicting spirit on me or nothing, because I didn't see nothing wrong with it at the time. But as I grew, and the Lord started moving on my heart to say, hey, you got to, man, you can't be, if you're going to gamble, at least don't gamble on Sunday, man. At least don't leave church and gamble. You, you, you can still put your stuff, go to the barbershop, just put them in at the barbershop like you normally do. Don't leave church to do it. And then eventually, you know, I just made a vow to God, hey, I'm going to give up gambling, and I did. You know, but it didn't happen overnight. So my grandson needed to hear me talk about that because he could think the way I talk now, that that just happened. All of a sudden, I got that miraculous deliverance. No. Some people get it, cold turkey, but I didn't give up gambling cold turkey. I didn't give up the club cold turkey. Didn't give up cursing cold turkey. It took me years to stop cursing. But once the Lord delivered me from it, yeah, Adrian, I was, hey, I was just going to ask, um, God's grace is not absent of his truth. When I say that, I mean, yeah, we do need to share our testimony and where God brought us from and what we used to do and the things that we struggled with. It's true. People do need to hear your testimony because you didn't just wake up and, and you're saved and you, you're doing the same thing you're doing now. But it's not absent of his truth. And when I say that, I mean that they still need to know that things are wrong. Oh, absolutely. This is wrong. This is right. It has nothing to do. I had to, and, and I can, and I shared this testimony with my son. Mom, you know, you used to do that. And I'm thinking, 
Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I did used to do that. You know, but then I thought about it again. You may not have the same grace that I had on my life. The, the tomorrow may not be promised to you. You know, you don't know. So you can't base your decision making when you know right from wrong based off of what I did and what I survived and, and the grace that was on my life. That may not be your story. And so as I'm teaching you from, yes, my testimonies and the things I struggle with, my, God's grace is not absent of his truth. And I just want to be careful here because we, we can't tiptoe around what's right and what's wrong. Oh, there's, no, there's no gray area. Yeah, yes, we have a testimony. Yeah, we didn't, no, you didn't wake up and, and was just saved and living your life holy and, and doing everything right. But you still need to know what sin is and what, and that's why he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law with love. That's not absent. That doesn't mean that the truth is out of the picture. People still need to know the truth of the word. And I think that we compromise that sometime because, well, we got to reach them where, yeah, we need to reach them where they are, but they still need to know that this is sin. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying right. you compromise sin. If sin is right. sin. I mean, God is clear on that. But when people are growing, I think we have to respect their growing process. Everybody don't grow at the same rate. Everybody, you know, some people hit the track running and they, you know, 22 years old and they just, as, they, and, they, and they on fire and they living more, you know, holy than somebody that's 44 years old and they just, they just got that. But everybody's not the same when it comes to that. And I think part of that is not saying, hey, I'm not going to acknowledge that, you know, grandson, if you want to go out there and do this, I'm not going to say, hey, okay, grandson, just because I went out and got drunk, you know, it's okay for you to go out. No, drunkenness is a sin. It was a sin when I did it. It's going to be a sin when you do it. I'm going to try to tell you and go on what they didn't say, hey, look, hopefully I was blessed enough not to get drunk but so many times in my life, and at the time I did, I wasn't driving. I wasn't trying to get nowhere. So therefore, but it was still sin. You see what I'm saying? And so therefore, it is still going to be sin, but I think it's just how we approach people and how we deal with this generation that we deal with. Because I'm telling you, they will turn you off. And so you don't want to come across to the point where you turn them off. You got to keep that door open and not compromise. And I definitely don't, not, don't believe in compromising the truth of God's word. But at the same time, I don't want to come across legalistic like these guys did. And there's a difference between being legalistic and, you know, trying to tell someone the truth of God's word. Self-righteous, legalistic, all in the same boat. He says, now look, he says, verse 16, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. He says, blind food, verse 17. What is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Verse 18, I'm going to talk about these in a minute. He says, and you say that you should swear by the altar, if you, if you, but, and you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gift on the altar is binding. Then he says, how blind, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred. And so what, what he was trying to get them to see is that they was being very hypocritical when they looked at the substance and saw the substance as being more important and more valuable than God. And he was saying, hey, 
Money and gold is gold. When y'all walk out of here, most of y'all got money in y'all pocket. And it's, it's the same money that sinners get. They don't make no currency for you because you say, say, give me the saved $100 bill. One for saved folks. No. It's how you use it that make it. And so what they were trying, he was trying to get them to see, when you bring that dirty money into the house of God, into his presence, then when you bring it to the altar, then that's what set it apart for the rest of the money. And so don't be swearing by all these things because he had told them earlier, hey, your yay ought to be yay and your nay ought to be nay. So what they was trying to do is make it look like there was different degrees and levels that you could swear by certain things. And so he said, look, if we swear by the money, because they were greedy, going back to what he said about the, the, the women, the widows, they were greedy. So therefore they saw the importance in the money and the gift more than where they were when they offered up the gift. And so in essence, that we said, like, when we come here, even though this is a building, and you know, just a, a building that was built by man, when we come in here because we believe that this is where God's presence rests, you know, he's in us, but we believe he's sure up here too. And so therefore, we sanctify and set ourselves apart when we come into his presence. We want to be different. And so he said, when you bring that from the world into God's presence, it's being in his presence that makes it sanctified. It's being in his presence that make it holy and not the fact that it's more holy than God. Because if you see your money as being more holy than God, then your money will become your... Like the rapper said, got my mind on my money and my money on my... Amen. Because he let you know. And there's some people that go to church that they, they, they see their whole self-worth based upon material things. And God is looking beyond our material worth, and whatever he blessed us with, when we give it back to him in worship, that's what sanctifies. Because before you give it to him, it's the same money that everybody else got. Same thing. And so he was saying, look, versus doing all that for show, versus going through all them gyrations for show, then look here, you ought to just say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't make one vow bigger or greater than the other one because you put gold on the altar. Don't go through all that. Don't put the people through all that for show. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. And so sometimes, you know, people can do things for, for show. Even in the area of giving. Now, some people that don't give with the right heart, they just give for show. You know, and, and, uh, and I know coming up in the church, you know, we don't disclose what folk give here at Strava. But I know going to my church, they used to print in the bulletin once a month what everybody gave. And that was so that the big givers could get the pat on the back, and then the little givers could be shamed. There was no other reason to print it. I mean, I mean, there was no other reason to have to print that in the bulletin, that certain people gave $700 this month, and this person gave twenty-five. Because now, when people see major name next to that 700, Brother Willie next to that, they feel like with that comes that. Major can get some things other folk can't get. Because he's a big giver. 
I, I think they don't stop doing that in church now. I don't think they do it like that no more. But, but when I was coming up, man, they print that every month. Yeah. And, and so a, a lot of people who look for that type of recognition will do that and give, but their heart ain't in the right place. They're giving for show. And so what God is telling us that when we do things, our, our yes ought to be yes, our no ought to be no, and we ought to do things from our heart, realizing that when we come in here to worship him, Believing that he's here is what makes this place what it is. Wherever he is, is a holy place. And so therefore, when we show up and he's in us, that makes us holy too. So he says, now look. Verse 20, he says, when you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it, by Swearing by it and by God who lives in it. When you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God and by God who sits on the throne. So he said, no matter how you slice and dice it, if you're gonna take an oath or you're gonna swear, you swear to God. And you know, that's why it used to be in this country, that's why, you know, we always raise our hand and put on the Bible. Now I don't know if they make you put on the Bible if you're gonna be a witness. You're going to get on the stand. You have to swear that you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help you, God. Now they don't say swear all the time. They say, I affirm. You can affirm that you're going to tell the truth. And that's binding. Because if you put your hand on the Bible and then get caught in the lie, that's against the law. And so if man law is that strict, then if we swear something to God and don't do it, that's why the Bible says, man, it is better not to vow than to vow and don't keep it. Because most of the time, God don't make us vow. That's something that we do. We decide. Most of the time in the Old Testament, they made vows. They made a commitment that they were going to do something to God for God. And so he said, and, and, it's, and it's no different than when we get married. That's why they take vows. And then going back to the other uh, analogy, I've tied this to marriage too. That's why you exchange rings and put them on your finger. So you can look at it. Do they remind you? I'm married. And then when somebody come and talk to you and they see it, they say, oh, you married. You can't leave home and take your ring off. Y'all act like some folk don't do that. Then what are they doing? They, they're on the verge of breaking their. And so vows are serious from God's point of view, even when it comes to the offering in the church. Jesus was trying to let them know, hey, you got to do things right. He said, now look, verse 23. I'm going to speed this up. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Call them hypocrites again. For you are careful to tithe even to the tiniest income for your from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspect of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He said, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. In other words, they was want to appear religious, so we're going to tithe all the way down to the mint. I got a mint garden, and I got some mint in there, and I got some you know, other herbs in there. I'm going to tithe my mint. I'm going to tithe all the way down. Even though I tithe some of my money, my gold, or whatever I got, I'm going to tithe it all down. And so what Jesus was trying to get them to see is that, look, you, 
you can lose sight of what's important to God by focusing on things that's insignificant, little things. In other words, that some preachers say they were majoring on minor things. They saw all, and that's why he's going to come back later here in the next verse and tell them, hey, look, man, you guys are straining that out of your water so that you don't drink it because a gnat is considered unclean. But then you turn around and drink the whole camel because you're focusing on the wrong thing. And that's what we're trying to say. Y'all focusing on all these things, but you guys done forgot about justice and mercy and faith. Those are the weightier things of the law. He said, verse 21, blind God, blind guys, you strain your water so you don't accidentally swallow a gnat. But you swallow a camel. We so focused on dress and appearance, whether or not someone got makeup on or panty holes on or do they have jeans on, all that. And we ain't worried about justice and those other things that's more important, whether or not you got a hat on or no hat in church. And when we focus on all those things like that, those things become our laws. I know. We were there. We were there. You know, 10 years ago, Pastor Bo would not be up here with no jeans on. Not. And I think he I even spoke it out of my mouth. I never wear jeans in church because it just, it ain't no, it ain't no professional look. That'd be just... People say, you know, got to be bigger than that. God is bigger than us now we wear jeans. And so, but 10 years ago, there were people who probably tried to get me to change them, but I wasn't hearing it. Because I was brought up in a church where you get clean when you stand up to represent God. So in my mind, Sunday, you got to be clean. You don't go to church casual. You go to church clean. So I had to ask myself, why did we go to church clean on Sunday? It probably had something to do with tradition and upbringing and the culture that we were brought up in. Probably didn't have many nice clothes, and you worked so hard during the course of the week that that was the only day you could put on your best. And so we brought that attitude right into the church and said, okay, then Sunday's going to be Sunday best. Ain't nothing wrong with that, though. Ain't nothing wrong with it, but we can't focus on that. It's when someone come in here with jeans on and a cut-off T-shirt here, we say, oh, God. <laughs> they finna defile the house. <laughs> they finna defile the temple. The altar ain't gonna be the same. They went and live on the altar. And so, there are a lot of things now as I've gotten older that I look back at and say, man, we had some traditions that was just that. Traditions. We had traditions about earrings. Before they was everywhere. You know, the choir, you couldn't have but two earrings in your ear. And your lower earlobe, and that was it. Two. No more than two. But that was before folks started piercing their eyes and the tongue, the nose, jaw. I mean, so I look back at that law and say, 
two may not fly right now. I mean, come because they, they're coming. It ain't like they're getting here. After they get here, they're coming here. With holes all the way around. And then we had to say, if you're a man, you couldn't wear no earring in the choir or usher and greeting. Now, I ain't checked that in a long time. I'm sure, sure we got some violators that law. It ain't changed, but it just ain't enforced. Because now, hey, the military didn't like earrings and men, you know, bolding the knees in church. Go ahead. No, I mean, but there, there was nothing wrong with, with the tradition that you, you learned. But there's also, it was, it was a standard. I mean, it's no different in the day. I mean, the military didn't lower their standards, if we're real. And, and if we want to be separated, you know, why, sh why should we look like everybody else just to please everybody else? No, no we don't have to. We should, you could still have standards and say, hey, no, we're not, we're not, you're not stressing about it. You're not worried about it, but you had a standard. You, your standard was, I ain't wearing no jeans up there. Okay. What's wrong with that standard? What's wrong with that? Nothing. But we're but, 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 but to change just because they said, you know, well, that's your word. If people are not going to come when you're wearing a suit, they ain't going to come when you're wearing jeans. <laughs> What's the difference? I mean, it's okay to have standards. You, you, the bar was set. Okay. But if they want to wear jeans, okay, wear jeans. But your standard shouldn't change. If you say, well, I'm not wearing jeans. I'm going to dress with the clothes <laughs> I got hanging up in the closet. I don't care. Okay, there's, there's. I've always had jeans. I just, you know, at that time. No, no, but you said you wouldn't wear jeans to church. Yeah, I changed. Maybe that's a standard. I have an epiphany. What? What? What did? It, what did? What, did what, I lower? Did I lower God's standard? No. Or but, did I lower my standard? No. You appease to the people, which you shouldn't have to do. I just changed. your standard is your standard. No, no, you, you know. I ain't changed. I mean. You're appeased to what the people want. The people say, oh, I can't understand why Pastor, why you can't, why we can't wear jeans. Okay, well, if you want to wear jeans, wear jeans. But you shouldn't change your standards because the world says, okay. It's just like when the world started saying, okay, well, it's okay. It's, it's, it's a new look. You wear sneakers with suits and everybody can go to corporate office. Well, okay. But that don't mean everybody has to do it. And that don't make me different because I don't want to do that. True. Standard. Adrian, did you, were you going to say something? No, no, I was going to say that's a, a personal standard. Now, I think it matters of, as to why you change. If you change just because the world changed and that was your reasoning, then maybe that's not. I, I agree, Major. But if you, if you woke up one morning and was saying, you know what? Ain't nothing wrong with wearing some jeans. You know, I can, I can make jeans look nice. But let that be your decision and not you being influenced by the world. But you shouldn't have to have a meeting about do we wear jeans. I, I mean, <laughs> right. we don't wear jeans. I mean, we shouldn't have to have a, 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 a fight about whether it's okay to wear jeans. We did. I'm, I'm laughing because we did do a, a whole committee about, about jeans. If we got to have a meeting about that's the wrong thing. That's just me. That is the wrong thing. <laughs> but you know, you know, we, we as humans, I, I have come to the fact that I have people ask me, even right now today, they say, do y'all have to wear a suit and tie as striving? And I say, no, you wear whatever you want to wear. 
We don't, we don't have a standard in the church where you can't wear jeans. So, so, so when a person choose and make their own decision on what they want to wear, then that's them. Because it used to be a time where Brother Willie would come in this church without a suit and tie on. But now I have gotten more relaxed. I have gotten more relaxed where I don't feel uncomfortable coming into the church with jeans on on Sunday and a necktie or whatever. But I think that we do it because we want our friends to see us as they are dress-wise. We, we, I'm not trying to impress Major to come to my church because I got on a suit. You got on jeans. I want you to come because I want you to find out what is being taught at Striving and for you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's what I'm trying to say. Ain't the jeans. Ain't the jeans. Well, Mom, but I mean, you, you wore a suit. Oh, you're the mic, Major. But you wore a suit because that's what you chose to wear. Right. And that's what you were comfortable with it at the time. But then when everybody else started to change and say, well, okay, then why'd you start wearing a suit? I wear a suit now when Willie feel like wearing a suit. Okay, okay, yeah. Not, not when, not when so driving want me right. to wear a suit. So before, you thought you had to wear a suit all the time? Well, I, I grew up that way, Major. Going, in, going back to culture, Major. I'm I, saying, I grew culture, up that way. Tradition, Major. a lot of that has to do with that. That's right. Coming up in the Catholic Church, when I, when, when I used to go by the Catholic Church on the way to church on Sunday, and I used to see them walking in church, I used to say, man, they're going to hell. hell. That's right. I mean, That's they right. walking in there with flip-flops right. on, with, right. with shorts on, T-shirts. And I'm looking at and say, ain't no way God is in that place right there. Because I'm going to church clean. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hey, this is the standard. But if I had walked in there with, like I was going to the Baptist church down the street, I probably would have felt like, man, I'm the only one here that believes you got to dress up and go to mm -hmm. church. These mm -hmm. guys are casual, no ties, mm -hmm. open collar, short sleeve. Then some people say, man, you're in Florida. It's 100 degrees outside. Some folks just don't want to put on a coat now. Yeah. And there are some young people that don't even own suits. Right. Yeah. Don't even own them. But, Major, I'm going to tell you. I, I, I'm going to tag along. When I was a kid, I can always remember I belonged to an AME church growing up. When I was a kid, I could always remember my mama putting a boat towel on me to go to Sunday school. And, and when I grew up and kept growing, I said, well, you know what? I got to wear a suit. You know, I saw granddad, I saw daddy. On Sunday morning, they was in suits. So, so it was just a tradition that I just kept following. But the older I got, I said, I can make my own decision now. Right. Amen. And so let me go ahead and finish reading this because I want to go ahead and finish it tonight. So verse 25 says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religion law and you Pharisees hypocrites? Uh, you are careful to clean the outside of the cup uh, or, and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. In other words, they was greedy and all about themselves, so they was more concerned about how they looked outwardly and not so concerned about what their heart was like. 
He says, you blind Pharisees. He says, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He wasn't talking about a physical cup of dish. He's talking about their heart. Get your heart right first, and if you get your heart right, your outer man will get cleaned up. But if your heart is still corrupt, you can put anything we want on the outer man and the outer person. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of law, of religious law and Pharisees? Hypocrites, you know, in verse 27. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Again, his setting where he was teaching that, he could probably look over during this time of the year, during Passover, they would go out and clean up all the graves or all the tombs and whitewash them down to get them back to looking good. And Jesus said, hey, look, it don't make no difference how good you make it look on the outside. On the inside is still a dead, decaying body in there. And so when he was trying to get them to see, man, until you get the inside right, you can put robes on, you can put tassels on, you can put the scripture on your hand, you can put it around your head. But if your heart is messed up, man, you're going to be messed up. That's right. And so that's why we got to work on our heart. We got to allow the spirit of God to deal with our heart so that we won't get caught up in the lawlessness. He says, outwardly, you look right, like righteous people, verse 28. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you hypocrites, uh, Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you build tombs for the prophets uh, your ancestors killed. And you decorate monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. He said, now you followed in your own ancestors' footsteps. They killed a prophet for them, and he was leading up to the fact that you guys are getting ready to kill me. You're going to do the same thing that they did. Now you go over there and you clean up them tombs, and some of your ancestors killed a prophet. Killed God's men. And, and, and now you're in that same boat. So why clean up the outside if you're never going to do anything about your inside. That's right. He says, verse 30, Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have never joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves, for you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go and finish what your ancestors started. In other words, he's kind of prophesying to them right there, saying, look here, you guys about to do just what they did because he knew that they was going to kill him. He said, now, then he started calling some, you know, this is Jesus. Now, Jesus, you know, when Jesus started calling you snakes, <laughs> son of viper, I mean, this is Jesus now. Jesus snakes, son of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you would kill some by crucifixion, prophesy, and you will flog others with a whip in your synagogue, chasing them from city to city. And all these things, when you read the New Testament, actually happened to some of his followers. A lot of those men were martyred, you know, and, 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 and some of the people that killed them became followers. You know, Paul was one of those who was there when they stoned Stephen. But then he became a follower. He said, so verse 35 said, as a result, you will be held responsible for, all, for the murder of all godly people of all time. From the murder of righteous Abel, you know, when Cain killed Abel, mm -hmm. to the murder of Zechariah, which was the last prophet to be killed in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. 
whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. So these folks were notorious. You know, religious, that's why religious wars, man, are some some mo- most notorious wars that people fight over religion. You know, that, that I mean, that is, that, is, that is just unreal to me how people can be so caught up in religion and do things in the name of religion. And not just in Islam. I mean, you know, the Crusades. They, they would ride around with crosses on shields. They were killing folks. So, he said, I tell you the truth. This judgment will fall on this very generation. Now, after he said all those rough things about him, one thing about Jesus, he still had a soft place in his heart for him. He says, O Jerusalem, verse 37, the city that kills the prophet and stone God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. He said, look, after y'all did all that, I still came to die for you guys. And I want to bring all y'all under my wings, just like a, a hen or would have her chicks. I won't do all that. But instead, you wouldn't let me, which let me know that we can't make anybody accept Jesus. That's right. All we can do is offer him. Some people will accept him. Some people are going to say, no, nah, I ain't buying none you got. But we shouldn't try to prejudge what that answer is going to be. Our job is to share the gospel with everybody in all places. And then those who reject it, that's okay. That blood won't be on your hand. But then there will be some who's going to receive this word. That God is going to always have some people that's going to be open to hear the truth of the gospel. And that's why we can't get to the point where we can no longer share it with people so that we can allow them to experience what we've experienced with the Lord. Amen. You know, that's our responsibility. That's what we have to do is go and make disciples of all nations. He said, now, and now, look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For this Verse 39 says, I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is the one who come in the name of the Lord. And so at the end of that, he was still trying to show them compassion, but he was also letting them know that, hey, you know, you guys are about to do something that you're going to regret. And so he knows some of the same religious leaders were responsible for him, you know, being crucified. They had an opportunity to take somebody else, let somebody, let him go free and let somebody else be put in that position. But they, they chose a robber. They chose someone else over Jesus. And so what we got to see is that, that we can't get upset because some people are going to choose something else over Jesus. They're just going to do it. It's going to hurt our heart, but that's the thing about God. He don't make nobody do nothing they don't want to do. But we got to still go out and try to share it, believing that, hey, you know, if you just catch that one fish, that's one fish that you don't save. Yeah. You know, even though you preach to the 100, you got the one. Celebrate the one like the angels in heaven rejoice. And, and don't worry about the 99, especially if you did your job. If you did what God called you to do and you did it from your heart, then you can't make people accept Jesus. All you can do is just share him with them and then try to live your life before them. Amen? Amen. Any comments before we close? Any comments before we close? Yeah, Pastor, just quick. Uh, it's not about genes. Uh, I'm talking about genes. <laughs> no, it, it was. It's more about when I made the comment about uh, standards. I was just thinking in terms of how, how the church 
standards have changed. And it was what Adrian has said earlier, you know, meeting people, you know, we, 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 we across the, we on the 70 yard line where everybody else is on the 30 because now we think that yeah, Zoom, is Zoom okay? Yeah, Zoom is okay, but we're supposed to love and, and I can't love you over Zoom. At some point, you know, I think we have to come back to the church and standards are, are, are standards. It's not just, it's not just the, the, the genes, it's just what we're accepting now. I mean, have we lowered the bar? You don't think so? I, I think when we, when we lower the bar when it comes down to things that are clearly defined as sin. You know, I, I don't think you lower the bar when you... The world changed every five years, whether we like it or not. And, 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 and so, therefore, I think God is bigger than a dress code. You know, and a standard. But, but standards can be changed. You know, Major, you kind of remind me when I retired from the military as I was getting ready to get out of the military. And I looked back and saw all the things they changed that they wouldn't let us do. You know, when I was in, you couldn't have no tattoos. And if you did, they had to be here. And I go out there to the gym, now these dudes got sleeves or tattoos, all that, and I get mad. When I was in, they ain't let none of us, we, no, we couldn't get no tattoos, we couldn't do this, couldn't do none of that. Well, the standard done changed. These kids are getting tattoos when they're babies now. They ain't even waiting until they get 20 years old. These kids, they're coming in ready to tattoo. So what you going to do, turn this person away? No, I, I'm probably talking more about what Christ expects of Go ahead and get the mic. I'm probably talking more about what Christ expects of us as far as our witness, and we're talking about, you know, practicing what we preach and and, and those type things. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily lowering those standards, but I, I I just think we can do better. I mean, we we can do better, and we don't. Yeah, we want to meet somebody where they are. But we can't numb down what we know Christ expects of us. Yes, that's true. And, and I, I think that as long as we can keep it as something that's biblically sound versus our own personal preference. Because now when I, I do read preacher magazines and see what's trending in the preacher world, and they are telling preachers today, when young people come to your church, they want to look like they can identify with somebody there. And, and, and so therefore... And it ain't got nothing to do with holiness and all that. It's just the fact that when they walk in there, and if all they see is everybody looking like this, they're going to say, hey, I don't fit here because I don't, I don't own a suit. And we don't want someone not to come in all because of they didn't see nobody with a pair of jeans on or whatever. Okay, go ahead, Brother Hurt, since you got a mic. Well, one of the things that to remind me to, uh, for what we were just reading, is the, the fact is that... Um, when God was working with his people in Israel uh, and they had a hard time dealing with God too because every time they, uh, God always rescued them, they eventually move away from him and he had to come back and rescue them. Yeah. And now the point is, is that the, uh, it was prophesied that God's gonna manifest himself in the flesh, and they still couldn't see that. Amen. And he went to his people, here I am, and they still could not handle that. And now to the point where we would say that it's what's in your heart, it's the spirit what God wants to be in 
into uh, uh, the God that Jesus made it possible for us to be in the spirit filled with God in our lives. And so what we see, what people would put these tattoos on or wherever the color or hair or whatever, they want to identify themselves in the sense of being significant. And when you start looking, doing them kind of things on the outside appearance, your heart is wrong. It's not about you trying to make yourself significant, if you understand what I mean, is that if I put a tattoo on me, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm being identifying myself significant. Look what I got, or color my hair, or what I, whatever I wear. You, I you, 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 your heart is wrong. That's not where you need to be, and that needs to be changed. That's all I, I see when when we start doing stuff on the outside appearance. Again, it's like what these people was trying to establish too, as what you wear. Being you always hit me with the toe. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave that one alone for right now. I'm okay. gonna leave because that, that's a longer discussion. Right. <laughs> well, leave alone. what I was going to say that the word said that in the last days, your word shall be preached in every part of the world. We most of the places that we cannot walk with, we need internet, we need Zoom, and a lot of different communication to communicate the word. To other people, you know, we keep saying that we want people to congregate, and that's a good thing. I think we should congregate as much as we can when we can, because there will be a time where we can't do that. So we have to take advantage of the time that we can congregate together and receive the word. But we have to also remember that there is people out there that don't know the word because they can't hear the word. And and a lot of I, I, I also I want to say that. When we was growing up, when I was growing up, the way I dressed to come to church, that's how I was raised to come to church. I was told that my school clothes were school clothes, my party clothes, party clothes, and church clothes, church clothes, or my market clothes. So you see, everything had a reason to be. Are the clothes, are your dress code? You have a dress code for every different occasion. And I like the fact that Sometimes we need to set, set ourselves apart from the world. We don't have to look like the world all the time. Maybe we need to start making the world want to look like us instead of we trying to look like them. Yes, we need to meet them where they're coming from, but we also have to remember to keep God's standard intact. Amen. 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 I'm, say I'm sorry. Okay, I'm trying not to. I was just going to add to that. I think we... We do, we put a lot of significance on clothes or, but I think it's deeper than that. I think God is truly in this passage. When I preach, I preach from that passage, uh, the heart of the matter. It really is all about the heart of the matter, regardless of what you, in reality, what you do put on, on the outside, whether you do dress it up or change your hair or, or whatever that is. At the end of it all, at the end of the day, it is about your heart. And it's about you having that relationship with God. Amen. The longer you, and the closer you get to God, and the, the longer you walk with God, God will, will, will change your mind about certain things. God will convict you about a certain thing you're wearing that may not be pleasing to Him. God will do those things, and and so it is about the heart, your heart, Amen. at the end of the day. 
Amen. Good comments. Good comments. Amen. All right, then. Well, thank you for your comments tonight. We're going to have some announcements before we let you go.